Welcome back to Pure Ballina, Ballina Fringe Festival's podcast series in conjunction with Ballina Community Radio, BCRFM. I'm Anne-Marie Flynn and every day this week during Ballina Fringe Festival in association with the Ice House, we're releasing a new episode of Pure Ballina, talking to people who are engaged in the arts here in the town throughout North Mayo and beyond. Today in episode four, I'm delighted to welcome along another guest presenter and special guest. Many of you locally will know Tom Gilligan as the Director of Services with Mayo County Council with responsibility for the Ballina Municipal District. Tom was centrally involved in the hosting of the Other Voices Festival in Ballina in both 2018 and 2020. But apart from his work and family, Tom's real passion is music and more specifically, drumming. He's the creator of irishdrummers.com, the first web portal dedicated to Irish drummers and is the author of Irish Drummers Volume 1, book featuring interviews, conversations and insights with some of Ireland's most successful and influential drummers. Today Tom is joined by drummer Johnny Boyle, who's been playing drums since the age of 12. Johnny joined his first band when he was just 14, and since then, over the course of an incredible career, he's played, recorded and toured with artists including Andy White, The Frames, Marianne Faithful, Mundy, Damien Rice, Neil Hannon and Finbar Fury. He's played in a number of movie soundtracks and he's also made TV appearances with artists including Elton John, Ronan Keating, Westlife and Sophie Ellis-Bexter. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Tom and Johnny, two people who share a real passion for drumming. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to Pure Ballina wherever you get your podcasts. Join us tomorrow for the next episode of Pure Ballina as part of Ballina Fringe Festival 2020 in association with the Ice House. Hi, first of all, I just want to thank the Ballina Fringe Festival and the Pure Ballina podcast series. Uh, my name is Tom Gilligan, author of Irish Drummers Volume 1. And I'm here today talking to Johnny Boyle, Head of Drums at BIM in Dublin. Hi, Johnny. How are you? Hiya, Tom. Listen, John, Johnny, before we kick off, before you, you, you start answering some of the questions, I'm just going to give people an idea primarily of, I, I suppose, the stellar career you've had and you're continuing to have, obviously. But you've drummed with uh, Picture House, The Frames, Paul Brady, Damien Rice, Marion Faithful, a house, Andy White, Neil Hannon. I mean, and that's just some of the the the, the, the few that I've mentioned. Um, an absolute fantastic, fantastic array of artists there, and and real rock and roll royalty. So, how does it uh, how does it feel? And can I ask you first of all, how did you first get started? Um, <laughs> I got start. I started playing when I was about twelve years of age. I was going to piano lessons, and I just didn't like my piano teachers. They weren't that nice back back in those days, and. Um, I, funnily enough, I went to a Hoover shop with my dad to buy a spare part for a Hoover. And part of the Hoover shop was a music shop. And um, I saw the striker drum kit in the window and it was like the Holy Grail. It just sang to me. And I remember I pleaded with my dad. This was around September and I knew Christmas was coming. And fair play to him, he got me the kit. And, you know, I, I had that kit for about a year. And then my dad convinced me to get this premier electronic kit. It was just like four or five pads. And, you know, it was a disaster, really. So I played for a year and I was up and running and then I didn't play for a year. And then I managed to sell that kit off and I and I got a job in a petrol station 
working for a pound an hour, filling up cars, and and I saved up enough money to buy myself a Pearl Export, you know, and um, and that that was in January nineteen eighty nine, eighty eight or eighty nine, and. Um, and a few months later, my dad bumped into Dave Brown, the the, the founder of Picture House. Um, and I was pals with Dave when I was about eight or nine, but I hadn't seen him for, for a number of years. And Dave was telling my dad that I've got a band going and we're not really happy with our drummer. And my dad said, oh, sure, my Johnny plays the drums. And I think Dave was a little bit dubious. Well, you're young fella, you know. And and um, so we came up to the house. And as the story goes, uh, you know, I, I did my best Larry Mullen impression. And, uh, you know, and Dave's response was, so are you in or are you in? <laughs> so, but that was my first band, Hidden Faces. And, and to be honest, I was so naive. I thought I was just going to like up to a house to just jam with a few guys. That's all I'd experienced. The, the thought of even playing a gig was was it beyond my, my expectations. And I remember going up on a Tuesday and a Wednesday rehearsing. And on a Saturday, I played my, my first gig in the underground in Dublin. And Dave, Dave left that band about eight months later, and he formed Picture House then in early 1990. And I, I stayed in my band under different lineups and different guises until I was about 21, and then it fell apart. But it was a huge learning curve over those seven years, dealing with lunatics that I was in bands with and auditioning people and being signed and being dropped. And I went through all of that Um and then at 21, I'd, I'd been living in, in Derry for a couple of years uh, in a band up there. And um, I came back with my tail between my legs and my band was finished. And and, and uh, Thomas Walsh from Pugwash rang me one day. I was about 22 at this stage. So I was in limbo for about a year. And he said, Andy White uh, has just done this album, Teenage. And, um, you know, they needed a drummer. So, so I joined his band and, you know, I spent about a year with Andy and we did tours around Europe and we went to America several times and it was my first time getting paid. It's a very long-winded answer, but but uh, I was playing with um, Robbie Malone, a bass player from Lear, who then got me into Lear. Um, and then Robbie went on to play with the Hot House Flowers and, um, and sorry, something's come up on my, my computer. I don't even know what that means. I, I won't, I'm not going to touch it. Um, sorry, but um, so, yeah, so I, I joined Andy's band. And then from Andy's band, I joined Lear and Picture House. Spent four years in Picture House. Um, then I left Picture House to play with Marianne Faithful for a year. Um, then I joined The Frames for four years. I was only supposed to do two weeks with The Frames and I was there for four years, uh, which was great. And... Um, after the frames, then I kind of went slightly into in limbo again for a little while. Uh, but at, at that point, I'd, I was married with two two small children, um, and I was doing a lot of covers and uh, corporate stuff. But also in the interim, I was making records of pugwash and um, various different people, uh, you know. And I did the Duckworth Lewis Method record with with uh, Thomas from Pugwash and Neil Hannon from Divine Comedy, um, which was a great record. Actually, uh, it's all about cricket. It's it's insanely brilliant. Um, but uh, I was in limbo for a little while, and then the BIM job came along, and I've been doing that for the last ten years. Whilst I suppose, you know, a lot of bands have reemerged at twentieth anniversaries. Um, you know, in the recent years, I've been playing with the Fat Lady Sings and Our House and Picture House have reformed with the lineup from 1998. Um, so I'm trying to condense 25 years of my life into like five minutes. So I'm doing my best here, Tom. I'm going as quick as I can. <laughs> so, so it's been very fruitful, and uh, you know, I'm I'm very um, I'm very grateful 
um, for the life I've had. You know, I mean, there's, there's a big difference between being, say, a massive success where you fill out stadiums and, but, but to, to, to make a living from music and to play with the people I've played with, such as Paul Brady or, or, you know, doing the odd gig, like doing a gig with Damien Dempsey or Damien Rice being on stage with him several times on tours, like, to rub shoulders with all those people over the years has been, a, I suppose, a huge privilege. And I've been very lucky. Um, and that's not bad for a self-taught drummer. <laughs> no, it's excellent, Johnny. Just one thing there is, I, I, you mentioned the fact there that you're self-taught, but you also mentioned earlier that, you you know, Larry Mullen Jr. of you too. Who who are the, the drummers, I suppose, that, that inspired you or who are your, your favourite drummers, I suppose, that you've learned from over, over your career? Well, it's it's when I started out. I mean, initially when I was a kid, I was listening to Abbey Road and Dark Side of the Moon just endlessly. I listened to those records over and over again, and and I really Ringo solo on Abbey Road and and the Road of Tom solo in, in in the track Time on Dark Side of the Moon. They just kind of sonically, they were very inviting, and and I was kind of mesmerised by them. So I had this interest in the drums, um, and thankfully I I did have a few drum lessons at the beginning with a, a chap called Dave McCune. And Dave was a great teacher, and uh, Dave went on to produce like some of the Joe Dolan albums uh, towards the end of his career, as well as the Dustin records. and And Dave's a great multi instrumentalist, and he was a brilliant teacher. And he just, you know, over the I probably went to him for three to six months, I'd say, but he gave me a, a great grounding. And from there, I started playing in bands. and And in the nineties, the grunge scene emerged. So you had, you know, you'd Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, uh, Nirvana, um. You know, Blood Sugar Sex Magic was a huge record for me. Um, you know, Chad Smith's playing on that record. It's, it's a masterclass in kick, snare and hats. So, you know, and you Jane's Addiction. And so, excuse me. So I got big into that whole scene. But I suppose I was always into drummers in bands, if you know what I mean. But I, I'd still listen to people like Buddy Rich. And I was I was very interested in jazz, but not I didn't necessarily gravitate toward being a jazz drummer. That wasn't that wasn't something that interested me. I kind of I wanted to be in the Chili Peppers, or I wanted to be in the Beatles, or Led Zeppelin. That's kind of what I aspired to to do, you know. And um, and thankfully, I got to play with some really great bands over the years. So so it hasn't been too bad, you know. Um, but you know, my, my taste has changed over the years, um, and you know, I'm I'm very much driven by by music. And as much as I teach in a college and, and I'm, I'm immersed in drums, it's funny today, I've, I've been talking about drums since nine o'clock this morning up until about 4.30 today. So, um, you know, as much as I'm immersed in that, to me, it's all music. And I think I've always wanted to be the guy in the band that, that you know, kind of hopefully makes other people sound good, if that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does, Johnny. That's great. And I remember when when I interviewed you for the book, uh, Irish Drummers Volume 1, and one of the questions I remember I asked you at the time was, you know, your changes in your drumming over, you know, over, over the number of years. And one of the things you mentioned to me that you probably um, enhanced was your, your sight reading ability. Yeah, that, that, well, that was something. Thankfully, I, I got as far as grade two on the piano. So, so when I went to my my drum lessons, I was able to decipher the notation, which was great. Um, you know, and, and you know, I must, especially when I was twelve or thirteen, the two albums I was playing to the most were probably ZZ Top, Eliminator, 
and maybe Michael Jackson's Thriller, but also like Madonna's Like a Virgin. Like that record, when you hear it, it's it's like it's the guys out of Chic, you know? It's like Tony Thompson on drums. I didn't know who these people were. or So, so that gave me a really good grounding in, in playing a backbeat. So I, I think from growing up in that era and learning to play, play drums in the 80s, uh, you know, I, I, I understood space and letting the music do the work. Um, and I've completely forgotten the question you asked me, Tom. Well, you're talking about sight reading. So yeah. when, I, when I went to BIM, I had to really up my game on that front. And I had to learn to use, you know, programs like Sibelius because I had to write courses and stuff like that. And I just immersed myself in that. And funnily enough, for a guy who spent his entire teens learning everything by ear, now it's a lot easier for me to just, you know, find a chart online. And, and, and I do write charts just as a kind of hobby for certain songs or, you know, it might be something I do just for fun. Um, because, you know, if, if I had to learn a song now or I had to learn 20 songs, I could, I could just write a load of quick charts, which is, it's a great skill to have. And I think every drummer should learn to have that skill. And that's definitely something we teach at BIM, you know, where I, I would be confident that if someone get, you know, gave me 20 songs to learn in a day or two, that I could make up a, a few quick cheat sheets and, and get away with it, I suppose, you know. That's great. And and just to say as well, I uh, forgot to mention, I just want to thank Anne-Marie Flynn and the Ballinard Fringe Festival and everyone involved with us for the opportunity today to be involved in this podcast series. Um, I'm talking Tom Gilligan uh, and I'm talking to Johnny Boyle, head of drums at BIM in Dublin. Johnny, one of the things you mentioned, I suppose, in your relation there with um, teaching students and how, I suppose, what advice do you give to someone who comes to you and says, I want to take up a career uh, in, in, in music, uh, in drumming? What what is the things I suppose and says what what's the advice you're giving them really uh, in, in from day one? I I remember reading in Hot Press back in the nineties. Some somebody asked Tom Dunn, "What's the first bit of advice you'd give to any young person that wants to start a band?" And it was a one word answer. He said, "Don't." But <laughs> I think I I think you have to believe in yourself. There has to be an element of self belief. And I think you have to be prepared to work hard. Um, and I actually think now, if you look at the industry, drummers can be anything from you can be a drum teacher, if that's what you aspire to be. You could be a YouTuber where you do drum covers. Um, you can be a session drummer, studio drummer. You could be a you could become a drum roadie or a drum tech. So it's quite broad in, in, in the opportunities that are out there and who you, who you can kind of shape yourself to be depending on, on who you want to be. Um, there is a lot of chops-driven stuff online, uh, which as much as it's inspiring, it, it can kind of demotiv demotivate some people because they might think I'll never be that good. But I, I, I think the one piece of advice I give students is um, I always refer to Benny Greb, uh, the German uh, drummer who, who said, you know, he, he aspired to be the best drummer in the world and was very unhappy for a long time. And then he just decided to be, you know, the best version of Benny Greb he could be. Now he's a phenomenal drummer. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for any young person, you know, coming to the college or picking up a set of sticks for the first time, just just be the best version of yourself that you can be. You know, and and again, for me, I just want to be the best drummer in a band that I can be. I don't need to to try and play some ridiculous fill 
in front of other drummers to try and impress them because that doesn't necessarily I, I'm not looking for those kind of thrills you know mm. I'm looking I'm looking to see somebody crying in the front row in a song I'm playing or somebody who's completely elated as I'm playing with four other people and are you know or somebody jumping out of their seat and throwing their fist in the air and dancing and and that that trying to move people and and trying to just you know give them a great sense of release and you know good feeling you know I mean playing with the frames and in Marley Park here and 20 people or 20 people <laughs> 20,000 sorry I got my my numbers mixed up there but you know listening to 20,000 people sing Revelate or or listening to you know a full Olympia you know uh, 1500 people singing Sunburst and singing along and that and you just you know it's like this nuclear blast of, of goodwill and energy that you get and, and that's a feeling that that it's that it, you know it's a drug to a certain degree you know yeah miss that and i'd say a lot of people miss that uh, who aren't playing right now you you mentioned in the book at the time that uh you did the letterman show and you got to meet roger waters at one of your gigs i did now doing the letterman show right okay so like i've done the late late show and you kind of know in, in in ireland there's probably somewhere between i don't know on a friday night half a million to a million people watching it if even that much i don't know but when you're doing the Letterman show, you're like, okay, there's probably 50 million people watching this right now, <laughs> you know. So your inner voice is kind of saying, keep it together, keep it together. Um, uh, coincidentally, we did that show and Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins was supposed to play. I was doing it with Marianne Faithful. And when you're playing that show, the house band are to your right. And that house band is made up of, of people like Paul Schaefer, who's the band leader on that show. And, and Paul Schaefer was also the band leader for the Blues Brothers. So when you see that movie, he was the MD for all those songs, and he, he MD'd the band. He's the musical director for all of that. He's also Artie Fufkin um, in Spinal Tap, who came out with the, the famous line, kick me in the ass. So <laughs> for people that don't know that. Um, so, so you know, I'm trying to play this song on Lennon, and I'm looking to my right, and there's the sax player, who's the guy, he's the sax player when you know he's he's playing the sax solo when Aretha Franklin singing think in 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 one of my favorite films the blues brothers and that blues brothers record not a lot, not a lot of people know that Steve Jordan played drums in that album and, and I learned to play shuffles and I learned to kind of swing bluesy kind of stuff from playing along to those records which was great and I got to tell him that which was brilliant but we we did a show um we did a show in New York uh, with Marianne and, and <laughs> so funny because when you finish a gig, I'd be all sweaty and I'd be changing my clothes and stuff. And Roger Waters just walks into the, like, you know, those surreal moments, like Roger Waters just walks into the room and he just came straight over to me with his hand out going, hello, my name's Roger. <laughs> and, and I shook his hand. And to be honest, I think I had my trousers halfway up <laughs> at my knees as I was getting changed because it was quite of a, a pokey dressing room. And I shook his hand and he, came, he went around the whole band and he was just like, oh, great to see you guys play tonight and, and all the rest. And he, and, and he left. And, you know, when I think of myself sitting at the vinyl player listening to Dark Side of the Moon, for the guy that conceptually put that record together, to come in and shake my hand and be so nice, um, you know, they're, they're, they are those little pinch me moments that are brilliant. You know, they really are. And it's a fleeting moment. You know, it's just a fleeting moment. But... But it's um, it means a lot to me if if you know what I mean. I do, I do, and I suppose as well. Just I suppose meeting people like that, it it must be 
I suppose you can take so much inspiration and so much learning from them. Um, did did they did did you get any advice from them that uh, still resonates, or was there was there uh, anything from from them? I suppose that that particularly applies now with the, in relation to the music business. Well, well, that that particular night when I did Letterman in New York, um, Billy Corgan was supposed to play with us, but but he couldn't make it, so we flew to Chicago the, the next night, and and the following night we played in Chicago, <laughs> and I, I walked in the dressing room, and I think Marianne said to me, "Oh, Billy, Billy's going to play with us tonight," and I was thinking, again, you know, back when I was sixteen, seventeen, trying to play along to Pumpkins Records, figure out what Jimmy Chamberlain was doing. You know, th- those were big records for me. And um, I walked in the dressing room and there's one of my drum heroes, you know. And, and at this point in my life, I hadn't really met a lot of my heroes. Um, so I, I'm about 27 years old and all of Billy Corgan's there with his band and Jimmy Chamberlain. I think that Joey Kramer from, um, not Joey Kramer, sorry, the guitar player from Aerosmith was there with his family. And every night with Marianne Faithful, you wouldn't know who's in the dressing room. It was brilliant. There was a lot, lot of pinch me moments. But I just remember talking to Jimmy that night and he was so nice and so supportive and, you know, gave me his email and, you know, I emailed him a few days later and I was so excited to have met him and hung out with him and have a beer. And, you know, I sent him an email. The next day I got an email back. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, I was just asking him for a bit of advice to kind of work on my technique. And he recommended the George Lawrence Stonebook Stick Control, which is like, you know, again, that's, that's one of the, one of the drummer's Bible books to go to. Um, I think it was written in the 30s, but it's still very much um, utilized by educators all over the world today. It's a fabulous book. I think every drummer should have it. Um, so, you know, meeting those people and just getting a little bit of direction off them was, was massive, you know. It, was, it, it, it had a huge impact on me, you know. Uh, just another thing you mentioned in the book as well at the time, that you, you got to play with one of your heroes, I suppose, well, I suppose, uh, my hero as well. Uh, Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, uh, Chad. Chad came into BIM actually in Dublin. Um, I think it was like it was the first term of the first year. Like so, it was all our first, you know, first year students. And Graham Hopkins knew him quite well. And Chad had been over to do a number of uh, master classes over the years. And and his master classes always turned into carnage because he was just such great fun. And um, excuse me, so. He came in and he got up in BIM and he played and numerous people got up to play with him and I got a great shot with him, two of us on the kits. And um, again, that was just a really nice moment for me because, you know, I always think of the guy, you know, in my bedroom at 17, 16 years old, rewinding like all of these fills and drum parts and trying to figure them out and the, the time and effort and the dedication you put into that is 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 it's brilliant because when you're younger, you have the energy and you have the enthusiasm and you have the time. And this is pre-internet. So, so, you know, where we all had what we three or four channels on the TV back then, Tom. So, so all you could do really was if you didn't play sports, you could, you know, play an instrument or you could read a book. That's pretty much what I did through my teens was I played drums and I read books at night and listened to music before I went to bed. So, so, um, so yeah, I mean, nowadays, it's a lot harder for people, I think, to focus because, you know, we've got social media and we've a lot of distractions as well. I could just focus on drums all through my teens. 
That's great, Johnny. And you, you, you know, when you talk about BIM, and I've talked to obviously a, a lot of drummers over the last number of years, and I remember talking to Tom Call of the drummer with the Fontaines DC, and he particularly, I think, mentioned BIM and the impact BIM had on him as a drummer, but also on the band as well. I think there was a couple of lads, I think, from the uh, Fontaines that went to BIM at the time. So, I'm, I mean, there's no doubt about it. You're you're creating a huge legacy here, I suppose, with, with, with all these musicians uh, coming out of BIM, so th- you must be incredibly proud of the of the work you're doing up there and and everything that's that's involved in in creating this innovative circle of great musicianship. So so well done. Well, well, uh, that's very nice of you, Tom. I mean, in fairness, we we work very hard as all the tutors and all the staff there to give, I suppose to create the best experience we can for, for the students there. It is up to them to do the work, I have to say. And and Tom Tom is always a very affable guy. And it's Tom from Mayo, is he? He is, yeah, Castlebar. He's a Mayo man. So, you know, coming to Dublin, I'm sure was a, probably a very big deal for him. And, you know, but obviously coming to Dublin and immersing yourself in a college where, where there's numerous musicians, that's going to kind of, I suppose, um, create more opportunities for you but but tom had a good work ethic and, and a good attitude and all of those fontaines guys had something going on i mean you know um and we're beginning to see there's so many other artists like we've erica cody who's kind of an r&b singer we've alicia who's kind of like a pop act we've got you know um the murder capital who kind of remind me they're like a, a modern day they remind me of the smiths you know with a little bit more punk put in there but that, that's just again my subjective opinion on it but there's a, all of these musicians are kind of coming to fruition now and making a name name for themselves there's Jafaris you know there's numerous and and it's kind of everything from punk bands to R&B to hip hop artists to you know Laboom who are a dance act which are like basically you know a percussionist and and a guy doing tracks and DJing and so it's it's so unbelievably diverse and and it's great to see somebody who comes in, in in year one and they just excel and and they connect with the right people and all of a sudden the right band is formed and you know and, and generally a lot of people as well and, and there's a lot of guys and girls who become session players too so by their third year in college they're already out gigging you know several nights a month and making money and you know making a living for themselves and and, and you know it's it's things are starting to happen for them which is great it's just a shame I'm too old to depth for them on their gigs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, I just want to, I suppose, you know, 2020 has just been, I suppose, really a strange year for everyone. Um, I suppose, every, you know, the year started out, everyone had great hopes, great dreams. And I suppose we, then COVID came along and the world changed. How has it changed for, for you know, musicians, such as yourself and you know people in the music business like how how are you coping and how you know do you, do you see any i suppose really is there any chance really to, as we get towards the end of 2020 is there any light on the horizon at all or is is it really one that we just have to sort of knuckle down and just try and work our way through it um well i i i think it's it's um you know, when certain people come out, you know, 
this is a it's a very it's a tough one because some people feel that music, musicians um you know are on their holidays you know they oh they love what they do and you know it's a luxury what they do but you know lock yourself in a room for 10 years and practice 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 and you know I, so many musicians have sacrificed so much in their lives which is you know weddings and their friends stag nights and like when i grew up through my 20s i missed all now, that's not to say it, it, it's it's not a big deal i you know musicians and the arts in general enrich people's lives. And a lot of people come out, oh, you you know, musicians, don't give, somebody actually posted something the other day saying, you know, give don't give them a penny. People in the music industry are, are sports, or so they'll be making millions again in a few months. And it's not really like that. It's I'm, I'm very grateful I have my job at the college, but, you know, my income is a combination of working in the college, teaching privately and gigging maybe, a, you know, 100, 150 200 nights a year like and there's a lot of people out there that depend on that and there's a lot of people in difficulty you know if you're if you're making a kind of livable income and all of a sudden you're 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 being forced into essentially poverty by having to survive on 200 euros a week i'm sorry but i don't know anybody who can live on 200 euros a week even if they're on their own and don't have kids i it's just not possible anymore um my COVID was great initially. Uh, I've my good days and the certain days I'm frustrated. I should be touring a record right now. Um, you know, I, I recorded an album last year and the whole idea was to be touring it now. And that was a great opportunity for me and that's not happening and that's being postponed. I hope it does happen. So, um, you know, I think in the industry, there's a lot of people that are trying to start a dialogue uh, with the government um, because this throw, throw 200 quid at them and, you know, leave them, leave them out to dry. I, like, I don't know. I really don't know. But a dialogue needs to happen, and certain elements need to be put in place. Um, I'm dubious of people booking gigs uh, for February and March next year because, at the end of the day, you've got you know Ticketmaster and all these companies where they get the money in, they just leave it sitting in their account, and they can keep postponing gigs while they live off the interest. But musicians need to make a living. Um, I, I don't want to be negative in any way about it. I, I am optimistic, but I'm, I'm definitely worried for my colleagues and my peers, people that are paying mortgages and, uh, you know, and the uncertainty of what's going on right now. I, you know, yeah, I, it's, a, it's a very, very tenuous situation right now. It really is. Um, but people are trying to remain optimistic. And I, I just think that there should be a higher value on the arts in Ireland uh, with certain people because, let's face it, when you've nowhere to go, what do you do? You watch Netflix. Everything on Netflix is made by artistic people. You listen to music. Music is made by artistic people. You know, art is made by artists. Books are written by artists. Everything that enriches our lives comes from art. And I think there is a, a very, how would you say, a small number of people that don't put a value on that. But... I wonder what their lives would be if we took all that away from them and switched their TV off and we'll see how enriched their lives are then. Ooh, that's, that sounds a bit threatening, doesn't it? <laughs> but, you know, I feel very strongly about that and there's songwriters out there that aren't willing to put albums out right now because they can't tour the record. They can't monetize it. They can't sell their merchandise and that must be very frustrating for a songwriter. Um. But it's such a broad um, industry and you think of all the sound engineers and the lighting people and, you know, you can't tell. Like, I'm doing the same thing for 32 years. Like, I can't just change careers. 
because my life is in music and that's what I've, I've invested my life into. Like many people, be it whether they're artistic or be it whether it's a guy who's a drum technician or, or a sound engineer or, you know, an events manager or all of these people, we all work together. And what we do is we create these unforgettable nights for people or unforgettable moments in people's lives. And that needs to be recognized. And I think it needs to be addressed. And I think you know, there needs to be a pragmatic approach to, to working on that and working with the people in the industry. You can't just throw all these people on the scrap heap. Yeah. And I'll say no more about it, Tom. <laughs> That's fair enough. Johnny, I'm going, to, I'm going to finish up here, but I just want to ask you one question. Um, you've obviously, you know, studied drums and worked on drums. Um is, has there been any song, as so drumming-wise, that has really caused you a problem, you know, trying to replicate it or trying to, you know, get the feel or get the groove? Is there any song in particular that, that uh, gives you nightmares at night? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> All of them. Um, there, I, oh, gosh. There was a song... Well, I, I learned the intro to Squib Cakes, which is a Tara Power song. It's a very complex drum intro. And um, I've forgotten it now. But I remember on the day, it took me about three hours to learn it. And then realized there was about nine pages of notation for the rest of the song. So if it took me three hours to learn eight bars of music, and there was another seven minutes of music, I, I could probably spend a lifetime learning that. I, I, I was playing with Andrew Strong uh, two years ago. And um, what was it last year? And... Um, he has a particular song in his set that is just super fast. And I remember having learned his entire set thinking once I can get through this song, once I can get through this song, I'll be okay. Because it's just so fast where your right hand, if you dig in too much, you can cramp up. Um, the frames had a song called dream awake as well, which uh, Graham Hopkins recorded with them. And that had a super fast kind of jungle drum and bass kind of beat. And I remember that was always really difficult to play every night. You know, I think I, I'm still having nightmares about that song. Nice. But I suppose generally, generally, you know, you always play within your limitations, you know. I think that's very important. It's not to, you're better off playing something simple well rather than try to overextend yourself and play something sloppy because I think drums are, are quite a precise instrument, you know. Um, and, and, you know, it is the foundation and the backbone of any band. So what you're playing has to feel good to everybody else. Even if it's the, simple, the simplest beat in the world, it has to feel, a bass player has to be able to lock in with you. The singer's got to feel the kick drum and, and the rhythm of that. And, and, and it's, you, it's, it's massively important, um, you know, to, to be able to, you know, make the other musicians feel good with you. That's great, Johnny. That is brilliant. I just want to listen. I want to thank, first of all, so the Ballina Fringe Festival and the Pure Ballina podcast series. I mean, this has been great. Um, and Johnny, I just want to thank you. When, when I was doing the book, Irish Drummers, Volume 1, you were, you were the first name that, that, that came up all the time when I was asking people, is, who should I talk to? I think one of the first names was Johnny Boyle because, Johnny, I think you, you are a, a, a total inspiration and you, you're a pure gentleman as well. And Anytime I talk to you, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. So I just want to thank you again for your, for your kindness in doing this and, and your hospitality and everything. And as I say, just keep up the great work. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Tom. I'm, I'm very grateful to be in your book. And, uh, you know, I remember meeting you 
10 years ago. And, you know, when I think of where I was 10 years ago to where I am today and where I was 10 years before that, it's, uh, it's an incredible journey. And um, I never thought, you know, the 14-year-old kid playing in his bedroom that I would be sitting here having this conversation with you or that I would have played with all the people I played with. And it, it is kind of amazing. A bit like a bit of a dream, Tom, you know, um, I feel like I'm I'm looking in on someone else's life, but uh, but look, it's been really nice talking to you, and uh, I I really appreciate everything you've done for the drum community, by the way, because we're quite a unique uh, community in the sense that we do support one another, and a lot of my friends are drummers, and um, you know, and it's great that you put that book out, and you you know, you also helped, uh, you know, help a lot of drummers out there gain a little bit more recognition with your book, so um. You know, if anyone wants to buy a copy, I recommend you go out and buy it and support Irish drummers. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Great talking to you. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.